and welcome to tonight's Orient Hour on Phoenix FM. I'm here tonight with my bearded legend, South Stand Chum. We're joined by O's fan, Lee Boyce, and XO, Glenn Wilkie. Welcome to tonight's Orient Hour with myself, Steve Nussbaum, and I'm joined as normal by my co-host, the bearded legend, the daddy-o, the one and only Mr. Paul Levy. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Hello. Uh, good evening to you, wherever you may be listening to us. We've got a bit of a packed hour of pure Orient chat coming up. And joining us, as Steve said earlier, uh, is O's fan, Lee Boyce, and ex-Orient defender, Glenn Wilkie. Chaps, we've got a lot to, uh, to get through this evening, so I think we'll, uh, we'll crack straight on with it. I think Port Vale will be our first port of call this evening. Yeah, so let's cover Saturday's game against Port Vale. So, as you will probably know, it was a thrilling free-all game. I think we can all agree in the room we saw the best and the worst of our beloved Leighton Orient. So, Lee, let's have your views. What, what are your views on Saturday? I think it was a, a split, split performance, wasn't it? I mean, defensive mistakes again. Uh, but again, we, we, this time we showed a lot of uh, courage, a lot. We come back, and obviously Josh Wright scored in the last minute. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fight. It was a lot better, but like I say, that really changed when we went to 4 4 2 or 4 at the back sort of thing. So, but I don't know, there's a lot of positives. A lot of positives. So, we obviously scored very, very early on. You've covered that Josh Wright didn't score once, he just scored twice. A fantastic start, but then we seemed to fade massively after the first 15 minutes and started to invite some pressure. And I guess the same old defensive lapses saw us go 2-1 down. I wonder, over the weeks, all I keep hearing about is the defensive lapses, as you say. I, I really want to know what they're working on in training, to be fair. Um, it's great that they're scoring goals, and I wasn't at a game Saturday, but from what I've been told and what I saw, what an exciting game. Um, everyone come off or come away from the stadium I think happy. Uh, they had a few grumbles, had a few grumbles about the defending and conceding the goals. But what a way to come back in the last minute or so and not losing. That's the main thing. Get back to uh, undefeatedness and uh, push on. It was nice for the O's to score in the last minute. We've seen a few goals go against us quite late on. So it was nice to see a 94th minute equaliser for Orient as opposed to being in the club who are equalised against. Well, I think it's also quite a shame that you score three goals at home and don't get three points. It must be a bit gutting from... Yeah, I mean, but 
was, like we said before, our, our defensive problems is, like Glenn just said, where, where, where are they coming from, like, sort of, I mean, we've, got, we've got good defenders, good solid defenders, but it's just not gelling. It's not gelling. So, yeah, so, but I think it's what, second time, third time we've let in three goals this season at home. Oh, yeah, we scored, and like I say, a 94th minute. 94th minute goal uh, equaliser is as good as a winner like on the day but when you look at it like you say the defensive mistakes have cost us a game as, a, as an ex-defender um, you have to get that one <laughs> ex, ex-defender um, I think the biggest thing is that when you're on the pitch is you've got to be as a defender it's going to sound strange but you've got to be so paranoid you have to be paranoid wherever the ball is if you're attacking that's when you need to be the most paranoid because you've got to be thinking every opportunity if that ball gets rebounded on us in that area what am I going to do where do I need cover the opposite side what do I need to do and you've just got to err on the side of caution and be like I say paranoid 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 just so you don't get unlocked do you think it's the case that some of these defenders have just found their level in terms of in the National League, Josh Coulson looked very, very good. And in League Two, he's not looked so good. And you can't take anything away from the guy. He's fighting for every ball in a header. But League Two forward seems to have a bit of extra pace and he seems to be struggling at points, I think it's fair to say. They do. I had a few messages last week or the week before about him saying he's... Obviously, he's going for a, a bad run. His confidence is low. Someone said, oh, was the armband sort of weighing him down? Is he worrying about that too much? That, that's rubbish. That ain't going to affect him. He's just going through a bad spell. He needs to have a good good game, a, a sort of goal line clearance, a cracking tackle, something just to lift his spirits, and it would be amazing once his form changes. It could be something simple like that. But with the other defenders, um, with um, Josh at the back I'm oh, sorry Marvin at the back last season he got away with it because of his pace he really did he was getting caught on the wrong side of the ball and I was looking at him last year in the National League and thinking oh you've got away with that but he was quick this year on the step up he's, he's not played at this level before has he? he's come through no, no. from non-league football so it's a massive jump up for him but he needs to learn and he needs to learn quick when he does play I think with Josh though I mean he was at Cambridge he was a hero like uh, one of the club legends there was a reason they released him, sort of thing, uh, and he dropped into non-league, national league, sort of. Uh, so you got to ask yourself, like, did they realise that his time had come at that level, and now he's, he's took a step back up? Is he struggling because of that? Is it form, or is is it too much for him with the, with the youngsters next to him and trying to trying to talk the youngsters through a game? I think there's a lot, a few reasons there. Glenn, other than obviously winning football matches and keeping clean sheets, what can a player who's low on confidence actually do to? gain the confidence or have I just answered my own question well no you just like if you're a forward uh, midfielder defender goalkeeper you've just got to work doubly hard in training all week and keep doing repetition repetition everything you've got to keep doing um, and like I say anything we know as a forward who hasn't scored for a while the ball hits him on the backside and goes in and how, how quickly does your form change and your confidence change it needs something simple like that just to spur you on it could be anything it could be absolutely anything and then it will come and then once you get in that good mood and it's everything's mental golfers snooker whatever mm. once you're mentally right and you feel good and you feel confidence you, you'll just go on a run of that bad run's gone you'll go on a good run and you'll be 8 out of 10 8 out of 10 every week and we've, we'll speak about formations a bit later on in the show, but we went back to five at the back. Is that too defensive at home, do you guys think? I don't think it is if you've got the, the right wing-backs as such playing. 
which we haven't. You need to play free, uh, to play a back free, you're going to need attacking wing backs who are putting in crosses or going, going past. But we haven't got that. I mean, Widdison and Ling, they're, they're a flat back four uh, full backs. <coughs> so, yeah, when you're looking at it like that, it is too defensive at home. I think with a with a back five, as you said, well, it's three centre-halves really and two wing backs. When you're going through a tough run and you need to pick up points, me personally, I would try and sharp shot with a flat back four and keep it compact because if your centre-halves, like we just mentioned, are going through a bad spell or confidence issues, whatever it is, they will get exposed down the sides. I, me personally, I'd go with a flat back four, but you don't know how they train during the week. They may show signs that they're, they're doing well, but the results tell you all you need to know. The results tell you what you need to know about that formation. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll be speaking a bit more about lineups towards the end of the show. So I'm quite aware we've focused on the negatives in terms of conceding three goals, but we did score three goals. We got a point. Who stood out for you guys? For me personally, I'm very impressed by Connor Wilkinson. I thought he started the season, had a tough start, but the last three games since he got on against Crew at home when Lee Angle got injured, I think Connor Wilkinson took me a bit by surprise. Obviously, he scored a tapping against Colchester that was gifted to him. But on Saturday, he looked like a man possessed, chasing all the balls. And that finish in the south stand was an, a thing of beauty. Unbelievable goal, wasn't it? Absolutely yeah. cracking goal. I love, I love all the videos I've seen on social media from different angles of it. But there you go. He's, he's scored that little, little goal away to Colchester, boost the confidence. Then last minute, you need someone to step up and get that equaliser. And he's, he's bent that one in with his left foot. An absolute beauty. Lee, anyone else stand out for you on Saturday? Oh, Josh Wright. He, I thought he'd done well. George Marsh is, like I said last time, he's, a, he's like a little terrier. He gets around, covers so much of the pitch. I think he goes a bit unnoticed what he actually does on that pitch. I mean, he covers so much, so much ground. But again, Josh Wright, I mean, he took a bit of criticism lately, but two lovely headers, like sort of thing. He's done, he, like, I mean, getting that box. I mean, that's what I think he's done at Gillingham. I think he's at 12, 13 goals he scored one season at Gillingham. Just getting into that box late, and that's saying you didn't, you like to see from your midfielders get in that box hit that box on the right time and, and score with them hitters and I think he done, he done well like so he done well Saturday I mean we were crying out for that attacking midfielder last season and Josh Wright's already got four goals and we're only just in October so four goals from a central midfielder isn't a bad return at all for the beginning of October Personally, I like Josh Wright. I think he does a lot of stuff that people don't notice mm. and they generally tend to notice the stuff that he does wrong. Like I got a bit frustrated with a few sloppy passes that he did. But I think a lot of the stuff that he does, like you say, does, does go a little bit unnoticed. But to have a midfielder at the beginning of or end of September on four goals, I'm not a stato, but I can't remember when we had someone that had impacted, especially when we, we are where we are in the league. And none, um, of, and none of those goals have been a penalty. None have been free kicks. They've no. all been open play goals. And to Maybe be fair it should to have been jo- five, though, shouldn't it, really? Well, you're, you're going over rough ground, Lee. You're going over very rough ground. <laughs> but, OK, so Josh Wright, Connor, standouts. Anyone who you think needs a rest needs to be dropped? We've obviously spoken about Josh Coulson. I think Craig Clay, probably... Has been, hasn't he? ...the outstanding player last season. Deservedly wins player of the year. Two misplaced passes on Saturday. Comes straight off after the hour mark. I think he was subbed in the game before against Colchester. Maybe he needs a rest? I think, I don't know about the word resting them sort of thing. It's, uh, if, you, if, you're not on, if you're not on form, you, you don't deserve to be playing sort of thing. Like we said at the moment, I mean, uh, 
Gorman sitting. I mean, I like Gorman. I know he's people are critical of him, but I think I think he's got the potential to be a good player. But he's sitting as fourth choice at the moment. So if Clay isn't doing it, we've got other midfielders to step up that can step in and do this job right. So, but that's the same in every position. I think every, every single one of them players, and I think there's a few that are underachieving this season that need to really be asking themselves questions and, and really looking at what they are doing. Thing is, with that though, is. I don't know him personally. What sort of character is he? If he gets dropped, is that going to give him the kick out of the backside for him to work harder and work harder and then come back in and, and prove he should be back in a squad or in a starting lineup? Or is he the type of player who'll take it personally and his confidence will drop even more and he, he could go even further behind that starting lineup, you know, and, and drop right out of it? I don't know him, but that's what Ross and the, and the coaching staff will be looking at as well as other players, how would they take it? Have we got someone to step in who's training well throughout the week who will come in and do a job? I think yeah. when you look at Clay, I mean, the first season he had, he wasn't, he, was in, he had a slow start because of the injuries and all that, but didn't really get into the side. Then the second season, he gets into the side and he's player of, the, player of the season. So I think that says what about Clay, like, you know what I mean? That he ain't necessarily one of those to sort of sulk away and... Uh, and not want to play, I think like, I mean, it might be, might be what he needs. I don't think we have those sorts of players at the club. And I think the, that Martin and, uh, and, and Justin were quite specific and particular about the types of players that they were bringing in. They had to be, obviously, of ability, that goes without saying. But actually, I think, and, and managers in general, and probably you'll know this more than me, Glenn, but they do their due diligence on the personality, the type of character that they are. Are they a... Are they a go out and do drink driving and smash up cars and ruin players' careers, or are they the type of players that go home, rest up, eat well, sleep well, and do all the good things? And are they like the Matt Harolds and the James Daytons with the banter and all of that sort of stuff, or are they the whispery behind the manager's back and trying to divide the dressing room? Which you do get, mm. you do get, you yeah. do get both sides of it. Yeah, I'm not saying I. Sorry, I might not make my point right. I'm not saying he's going to go and sulk. And, and go away and he's, got, he's going to upset the dressing room. I mean, mentally, is he the type of person where that will be an even bigger knock to his confidence when it's obviously not great because he's getting dragged the last two games? Is he the type of player to say, right, I'm going to prove you wrong, I'm going to come back stronger? I don't, I'm not questioning him sulking or any of them players because I trust what Lingy's done and everyone else getting the players in. But sometimes as a manager, you've got to be careful with the players you do drop and who you keep in the team and hopefully their form will turn around. So Saturday, I think we can all agree, it was a point gained due to the nature of the last minute equaliser. It felt like a win. It felt like a win. <laughs> so for me, the two pleasing points were the last minute equaliser and we've got to talk about Ross Embleton. Sorry, just take a step back. I thought the second half we played some of the best football that I think we've, we've, I've seen us play this season. I think that's probably worth pointing out uh, I think that's probably worth pointing out as well um, you know it's a shame we couldn't do that for the whole 90 minutes but you know as I meant as I said to Ross in post-match I, I made that comment and he said that you know it's just not possible to keep that level of intensity up for a whole 90 minute game the players were sort of dead on their feet at the end they were lying on the floor and you know the, both sides had had a proper good go but you could argue the second half was a completely different formation because he went four at the back yeah so I guess the argument there is do you do that again on, on Saturday I think without formations Saturday, uh, Saturday I think with Ross I think he was just like he knew he's never going to step down I think he just got, went reverted back to the five because defensively it had worked as a 
as a solid, like where we didn't let in many goals. And I think basically, the way I see it, is that he just turned around and thought, well, I'm going to go back to that. We're going to go back to defending so that when a new manager comes in, we started defending properly at, and it, it failed. It failed. And like I said, he's, he's changed. I mean, I'd like to see, and this is one thing I would have liked to see Moss do a bit more, was to pick a formation that he really believed in and just go for it. Like where, but he's, he started with a five, which understandable. Like obviously, he's a brave man to change the five after Justin had been successful with it. Uh, and then, but then he's chopped and changed as he's gone along. I personally would have liked to see him pick a formation and, and make that his own. But that's why I think he went back to the five just for, just more for safety, just to get us over the line again till the new manager steps in. But like I say. When we changed to the four, it was a totally different different game. The thing is, with any formation, um, you have your ideal formation, what you want to play. But the actual players you've got available make you choose your formation. So it's no good saying, right, I'm going to set out this way. And you've got players playing out of position or you've got injuries with key players like McEnough and, and the others. It's the players you've got available is what, what formation is going to give me the strongest possible outcome on Saturday or Tuesday night whatever um, and that's the way he would probably go with it like you say he's changed it at half time because that wasn't working and they've come out second half and played really really well which hopefully the supporters enjoyed and obviously nicking the point at the end yeah I mean you could tell how much the fans valued him at the end obviously Ross goes and does a lap of honour almost the crowd are chanting his name well, yeah, he was, I think, showing his appreciation to, to all the fans that had come out and, and supported the team because he'd, he'd said at the end of his last post-match press conference about the fact that, you know, if there's any negativity, voice it to him, support the players um, because at the end of the day, they'll thrive on a bouncing Brisbane road rather than a, oh, come on, what are you doing? Are oh, you mucking up? And all of that sort of stuff. And I get that. If someone's berating you at work, you're not really going to do your best, are you? I think, it's, and it's just the same in football. It's just there's thousands of people watching you do your job. I think that's I think that's where people forget that it, that it is a job. That is their job. It, it, like people get confused and like when they're talking about players and all this, but they are working. Like they don't deserve the abuse. They look, well, as much abuse sort of thing. Uh, there's a lot of things they don't like shouldn't go on because at the end of the day, that's their job. Like I know they're performers, but. Yeah, but every player goes out there. Not, I don't know no, any player no. over the years who goes out and says, Do you know what, I don't fancy it today, I don't, don't think I'll play well, or I'm going to misplay six passes. No one goes out to do that. That's just circumstance. That's what happens during the game. You don't want to do that. One is because you don't want a personal pride, you don't want to do that. Two, you don't want to let your teammates down. But three, at this level, you want to play well and well. Hopefully someone's watching you in the stand and you get a move to a bigger club like the boys did last year. Yeah, absolutely. So Ross's interim role, you would think it's coming to an end pretty soon after he's stepped down. How do you feel that he's done in his interim role? I think after the summer we've had, it was gonna, always going to be difficult regardless of who was going to come in. But I think personally, Ross has done an outstanding job to lead that team and that squad through the summer they've had, get through pre-season. And apart from Swindon, especially in the first half for me, I don't think we've we've been too bad or been too outclassed when we lose it seems to be by the odd goal I think he's not done too badly considering the circumstance we lose we lose by the odd goal that is normally an individual mistake and like I think Ross said before how, how do you stop people making individual how can you coach people to make individual stop making individual mistakes you can't like it's, that's, that's their own mentality uh, I think he's, he's done a brilliant job for us I think 
for him to step up and, and do what he's done and yeah I mean like we said we've been unlucky in some games we've not been great in some games but it's been a massive change but I think for, I, I think a new manager coming in now whoever comes in has got a hell of a lot easier job than what Ross took over te- like two three months ago because now yes we've got a, we've got to change things on the pitch but off the pitch everything's settled down like after, after we lost Justin everything's now settling down and the emotion's not as raw so when a new manager comes in the squad itself is settled so I think I think he's done a, a, a brilliant job for us I, no, I totally agree I, I think he's done a good job stepped up to it obviously after the summer what happened but he very like you just said losing out by the odd goal here and there individual mistakes you, you can't you can't sort of set up and think oh we're going to someone's going to make a mistake like the Exeter away game alright they, they were putting a lot of pressure on us and we was lucky to be leading so you won in the last couple of minutes whatever it was um, but little things like that if you just hold on and you hold on and you nick a point away to the league um, three points away to the league leaders that's a, such a massive confidence boost going into the next game that coach trip on the way home such the feeling in that coach and the feeling in that dressing room with the, the coaching staff and the players that lift we're talking about confidence they could have gone on and won the next two three games you know alright it didn't happen got a good point but it didn't happen so they're the fine margins that like you say they, if you, you can get two point, um, an extra two points when you've got a draw or you, you get a draw when you've lost the game they're the ones where I, I truly believe, I know Ross has said he, he, he's not a manager, but if he would have won two more of them games, I think he would still be sitting in that job now because everything would be rosier. Um, some of the supporters who were getting on his back um, to him, to his family, whoever it was, I've heard stories, um, is not very nice. He's probably thought, do you know what, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't feel comfortable. But if you're winning and you're in the top six, top eight, he would have felt a lot better and I, I doubt he would have come out and sort of stepped aside. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the criticism. I mean, there's been quite a lot of criticism on Ross. Most of it, I would say, unjustified. It's been quite hard to watch some of it and see some of the tweets on social media that you see. You think some of the criticism's been unfair? You think some of it's fair? I think, look, I think obviously at the end of the day, the buck starts with Ross, which is why he's getting that, that criticism. He's the you know, interim head coach or was the interim head coach so I understand why people are venting their frustrations at him but when you look at the balance of play and some of the games that we've played we've played some really good halves of football we've been unlucky that uh, I guess uh, when does it stop being unlucky when it's happening in more than on more than one occasion when does the luck element of it stop because you're conceding three goals at Macclesfield you're conceding three goals at home to Swindon we've conceded three goals at home against Port Vale you know we're going away and you know, Ross has said in his post-match interviews that, you know, he's sick and tired of other managers saying, oh, God, you gave us a great game there, but ending up without anything to show for it at the end of it. Um, so I guess it's just, you know, we've been a victim, you know, we're, we're the you know victims of our own demise, really, because in a sense that, you know, we've conceded sloppy goals, we've made mistakes, we've not been switched on, we've not been clinical at the other end. So I, it, it's a really difficult one because it's not just cut and dry. We're not just playing badly and losing and getting turned over every week there's there's a lot of other stuff going on as well I think well what people forget as well with Ross as well he's took on the team that Justin Edinburgh built not one of them players was his players 
I think we'd all, all agree that some of them players were, were given a loaded con contract, extended contracts, when possibly yeah, it should have been held back a little bit like, or, or given a lesser. Cause, but he's come in and he's done a job. And I, I don't think two, two more wins, like Glenn said, would have made a lot of difference with a lot of fans because they had it in for Ross from the start. Now I got criticised on Twitter in the week for saying he's been abused and people saying he's not been abused. And I think like some of the some of the things I've heard said about him isn't criticism, that's abuse. Like I mean maybe we've got a different sort of uh, idea of what abuse is. But when, when you're sort of when you're constantly being told you're no good at your job, you can't do this, you can't do that, that's not criticism. That's not criticism, that's abuse. Like if you, if you like you say if you pick up and say like Right, the buck stops with Ross because these defenders' goals, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's being critical, but constantly moaning and slagging a fella off, that's abuse. And, and like I said, I got criticised in the week for, for saying he's been abused by a lot of people. But like I said, there's some people at the beginning of the season who didn't want Ross in a job, and we could have won six games, and they still wouldn't want Ross in a job. So, like, like I always say, be careful what you wish for in life. You know. The thing is, it's, it's, it comes down to what do the supporters want. They want Orient to win every single game. Of course they do. Of course. They've got to be realistic. They've got to be realistic. All right, we won the league last year, come up. We've lost key players, i.e. two centre-forwards who have scored a lot of goals. You've got to replace them. Then obviously what's gone on with Justin, injuries to key other key players. There's lots of things in the mix, but supporters don't always see that. They're just looking at the results, which is fair enough. They're, they're, everyone's got their own view, can do what they want, but they've got to be a bit careful as well. What, Like you say, be careful what you wish for. I think most supporters would have been happy with con consolidation this year. Mid-table, maybe pushing for the playoffs, have something to sort of look forward to the back end of the season. Great. Because it's not gone that way to start with, I think the first five games, two wins, two losses and a draw, there was people calling through his head. I saw it on Twitter. I follow a lot of Orange supporters. They follow me. I see an awful lot of it calling through his head. And you're thinking, give the guy a chance. There was another bloke on another podcast that's not about anymore. And he was saying, and I just thought, what are you going on about, mate? I said, give he's not a manager. How do you know he's not a manager? You haven't given him a chance. I haven't given him the chance. And people like that make me feel sick. They really do. Do you think we just got too used to winning for two years and we just kind of got into a win as supporters got into a winning mentality where we've just expected it and also we've seen Lincoln go up after, after two seasons from League Two, Tranmere done it in one fire the playoffs and I think I've said it on our podcast before, I think I underestimated League Two, I thought we would be up there in the playoffs or challenging, I've been quite impressed by how competitive League Two seems to be, Swindon blew us apart. Cheltenham, who we played first game of the season and doing well with a good team. There's about seven or eight teams in there who could easily go and win that league. Yeah, and there's a lot of teams that have got a bigger budget than we have as well. And they're attracting players perhaps that aren't getting contracts in League One, who are League One quality players who will take a step down, a la players that did that for us into the National League and then boost it up and then they got a nice little promotion on there. Uh, on their CV as well. Um, but it, it, it's all swings and roundabouts, isn't it? I think it's quite easy to forget as well that when clubs are recruiting in the summer and getting new managers and new players, we're grieving for a manager. So we were already behind due to the FA Trophy, three weeks behind, I think Danny said, on the last Dorian hour. And then you have the loss of Justin. So whenever players like Bradford, I think, had signed about eight players before we'd even signed anyone. Yeah. So we were obviously well behind and maybe had we not had this whole 
adjusting tragedy in the summer, maybe you're looking at a completely different you, squad. You can. You, you, you mentioned Tramir and Lincoln, who bounced, went back-to-back -back promotions, but they kept the same manager, I believe, and they had the same squads, and they added to them squads. They didn't lose their two centre-forwards, their manager, and, and like you say, didn't get to sign players till late on in the season. So... You, the supporters can't compare. The ones who was expecting back-to-back, -back, especially what happened with Justin in the summer, they've got to be realistic. They have to be realistic. 90% of the supporters are. It's that small 10% who is today's world. Everything now, now, now. It's just not realistic. Yeah. Absolutely spot Good points there. Well made. So yeah. speaking of managers, obviously there's a manager vacancy going on at uh, Mighty Leighton Orient. Uh, Kent Teague tweeted just before we came on air, so Kent's been a bit quiet recently. Looks like he's back. He tweeted by saying, my wife and I are looking forward to being in Leighton on the 12th to the 14th of October. So that means Kent will be here for the Walsall home game. Speaking with many of you and the head coach search may be taking longer than some expected, but with 40 plus applicants, we are processing through the process thoughtfully. So current betting as it stands, we're just going to give you the four favourites taken from the sack race today. Favourites Colin Calderwood at one to three, which is very, very high odds. Darren Curry at thirteen to two, Kevin Nolan nine to one, and Derek Adams at ten to one. Ian Hendon surprisingly not higher in the odds as it stands after being released or going from Ebbsfleet yesterday. So let's throw this open then. Who would you guys like to join Leighton Orient as a manager? If it was down to me, of them the four or five names you've just mentioned in the betting, out of them four or five names, me personally, I think I'd go for Colin Calderwood if you can get him out of that contract he's just signed. Um, the reason why is his managerial experience. You need someone to get up the league and get out of the league. You need, all right, I don't know, has he won promotions before? I'm not sure. But obviously he's played at a top level, like Justin. He's had a few jobs managerial jobs like Justin he's of a good age was he 40, 50 at the moment I think he's got to be similar to Justin yeah. so he's, he's, he's around that sort of age bracket as well and he's got good experience and he knows how to run a football team and a football club the others on the list Darren Curry he was at Orient with me did you know yeah. he played for Orient he yeah. was back at, he was, he, was, uh, he was on loan I think from West Ham we played um with me that year I know him I met up with him when he was at Chesterfield at the end of his, his career good guys doing well with Barnet well. I don't think the supporters would want a young manager coming in I don't think they would stand up long term I think what's he been in the job at Barnet six months ten, 12 months not too long maybe yeah. I think he needs a couple of more years to step up step up into that seat if that was available in the future I really, truly believe out of them four or five candidates, I think Calderwood's the best option. But he'll come in. I was just looking um, before I stepped in with Calderwood. And the last six games for Cambridge, he's had two wins, three losses and one draw. So he's not blowing the league apart. Um, Ross's last six games has one win, two draws and three losses. So not too dissimilar, but I think the supporters probably would accept Colin Calderwood more than anyone else. But there's other managers out there, you know. It hasn't really got to be only the ones who have names are banded about. Like Ken has come out and said there's 40 applicants. Be interested to see a list of who they are. There'll be a few non-starters on there, but there'll be a few decent ones in there as well. Yeah, that's, that's the magic list, isn't it? That's the list that we all want to see, want to get our hands on. We'll never get to see it. So, Lee, bearded legend, any, any choices that you guys have? Oh, 
when the Caldwood story came out the other day, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it excited me that much, but then what Glenn's just said, I looked into it more and more and I thought, do you know what? I, I think we need someone who's got an understanding about what they're coming into, right? And people, I've, I've read people say that we don't want someone to come in with no links to Orient whatsoever. I think where we are at the moment, we need someone may not have a link to the club, but it's got a link to the understanding of what we're going on. And Calderwood fits that. I mean, Glenn just give his last six games. I mean, he's eight players, I think, he signed in the summer. So that is his own squad. And he's not blowing, like Glenn said, he's not blowing the, the league away with it. So, I don't know. The only thing I would say is we don't know what their budget is. No. You don't know what their budget is, what areas they need to strengthen. So he has got eight players in, yeah. but... You, you can't go shopping in Arrods if mm. you've got little money, no. you know what I mean? You yes. can't do it. So you you just got to be realistic again with, all right, he's got eight players in. It is, he's, majority of them are his players, but it depends on what the budgets are. And it's the same thing with a new man coming in. What assurances will he have from the directors and the board what he can go out and do? Is Lingy going to take control and, and get the players? Is the manager going to be targeting players? I'm sure they'll work well together, whoever it is, but... That's every single manager, and they can't rush into it. I've seen a few messages from supporters saying well, it was taking a bit long. This well, it was only a, a week ago that yeah. Ross. Week stayed. Monday. Yeah, a week, a week and a half ago. You can't rush this because if they did rush into it and they got someone in and they lost the next five games, all the supporters were oh, having a moan, weren't they? What are they doing that? But on, yeah. the, on the other well, end, I was at the fans' rep meeting the other week, and off, and uh, one of the things uh, Nigel Travis said was that. They're looking to appoint the manager, or confer, either confirm Ross or appoint a new manager around December, coming up to Christmas. So by Christmas, the full-time manager will be in place. So obviously they wasn't looking at the first week in October. Like, I mean, this was two, two weeks ago we had this meeting. They wasn't looking in the first week of October to be appointing a manager there and then. So Ross has sort of made his decision. But like you said, it's not going to be an overnight Solution. Now, well, that, now we've got to you saying that, going back to Ross, if, if that's the case and they've they never had a short list or a long list, whatever you, you want to call it, right now, and it has come out of the sort of, out of the mist that he's stepping aside, that tells me that the grief he was getting from certain supporters or his family was getting was too much and that's yeah, what's agreed. tipped him over the edge. I don't know that, it, I may be totally wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's, that's what's happened. Well, it's no surprise that obviously the Colchester game is on the Saturday. He kind of steps down on the Monday after. And I know on the Saturday just gone, his wife and daughter weren't at the game. They may have had previous arrangements, but we know. They're away. They're away. Okay, fair enough. Paul, any views on the manager situation? Um, Anyone that we haven't mentioned who's not on the list that you'd like? So for me, when the vacancy first came up, Phil Parkinson was being banded around. For me, Phil, Phil Parkinson, that guy's not a League Two manager. He should be in League One. So for me, I would want, I would expect Kent and Nigel to go above and beyond and try and get someone who is higher than the level we're at. Exactly the same as Justin. I remember the first time we were linked with Justin in the National League, I thought, no chance. That guy, that's not a National League manager. We've got no chance. And he came. And out of the list that I've seen, or the names have been banded about, Phil Parkinson's the one for me. I go, if we get him, that proves to me that this board means business and it means that Ken, when talking about the championship in six years, actually does mean the championship in six years. Yeah, no, totally totally agree with you about Phil Parkinson. He's a cracking manager and he's, and he's got the experience that 
RPOs need, someone of that calibre. Before we come on air tonight, I just heard that Neil Harris from Millwall got sacked. Now, all right, he's been there, what's he been there? Three, four, five years, maybe? Time, yeah. um, all right, in the Championship and then they drop down, but would the O's be happy with someone of his calibre, you know? Um, he's come there, but would it be, was don't want an ex-Millwall one here, you know what I mean? It, or, I really don't know what the supporters would think, but he's got championship experience and he's worked with a lot of players. Don't know the reasons why he's left Millwall, but he's another name I guarantee will be in the yeah, that The list might go to 41 tomorrow. <laughs> I think also that, that there's a lot of names on, uh, I can't remember who it was that published, uh, or not published, but posted uh, on a forum or something uh, about a list of all the managers that weren't working at the moment. So forget paying compensation to the likes of Cambridge, for example, for Calderwood or Barnett for Curry. There are a lot of managers, good name managers out of work, Phil Parkinson obviously being one, and obviously other people picking up on Chris, ha- Chris Houghton and um, Powell and, and, and all these sort of managers that are never going to look, never going to look at Leighton Orient. We're a great proposition. We're well-funded, we're well-backed, we're well-supported, we've got great infrastructure, we've got the stadium. You know, obviously Barry owns that, but you know, we're a safe, secure, solid club who are paying their players and their staff on time, which is more than can be said for another league club who apparently haven't paid their staff for September. I think it's Macclesfield. Ebbsfleet obviously is an ongoing saga and other clubs, Barry went went to the wall so I think by and large we're a very 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 sound proposition for any manager that wants to come in and has not a blank canvas but has a pretty good starting point to build on and to push on for the second half of this season or whenever they come obviously it won't be that late but from now on in but I think Phil Parkinson would be an absolute sign of intent on our part to say to the rest of the the rest of the league that we aren't staying here for too long my only concern Paul with a these managers like that have been Championship League One managers that are out of work now is would all come into Orient just be a stepping stone for them to get their name back in the in the window. It could be. I like the thought that if we are prepared to pay compensation for a manager, we are going to someone who would come who wants to come to the club. We're gonna go on to someone who really wants to be at Orient. Mm. And like I said, I mean uh, I don't know when we've paid compensation for a manager before sort of thing but I think that would be a statement I think that would be a proper statement from the board that we are serious about getting the right man in if, not, sorry, saying, not saying that it will happen like I said I mean with Justin as well he come in uh, step down and, and it wasn't a stepping stone for him but like I say there will be a lot of managers I mean we see it under the last regime where managers come in just for a quick payday and then they're off again. Don't well, want to go back down there. Going back on that point, though, you're saying that certain managers dropping down a league or two leagues to manage the O's, being a stepping stone, it'll only be a stepping stone if they're successful. Yeah. And that is a great thing because if they're successful with the O's and they're doing well, any manager is going to have bigger clubs sniffing around the manager and the players. They will. So I wouldn't be too scared of managers using it as a stepping stone. You ain't going to get a manager who's going to come in and stay there with a five-year, ten-year plan. It, it, they may say that, they may give a bit of lip service, but that, that ain't going to happen because the better they do, the more interest they'll get. The same with the players. So I wouldn't worry about that too much at this point, but I'd, I also think it would be a great acquisition if someone did step down with that experience. But some of the names banded around are crazy. 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Someone said Ian Holloway, he ain't going to do it. He's, he's probably earning about 10 grand a week doing all his media stuff. He ain't going to take a pay cut and then move from Bristol or wherever he lives to come up here and, and manage the O's. I'd be very shy if he does. I'll have to uh, do it like a Gary Lineker and do the next one in my pants or something. <laughs> Not with us. Um, <laughs> so on along that sort of line that you were just talking about there, Les LK52 tweeted us uh, on Twitter and he said, why not make a statement and go for a big name? I'm thinking Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones is still in a job at Stoke. Who will be City out of work soon. <laughs> or Gary Rowett, both who have done it in the lower leagues. I mean, that's just beyond realistic, isn't it? In, even if they are out of jobs, they're not going to come to Orient. Throw money at it and see what happens. I mean, is it better for one of those managers to be out of a job waiting for a call from a League Two or a Championship club or gets the call from Aiton Orient and goes, do you know what? I'll give it a try. So, Boggs Dollocks one. I've got to be very careful how I say that Twitter handle. Boggs Dollocks one agrees with Les. There's lots of decent managers about Cottrell, Holloway, Rowett, amongst those available. Do you think it's reasonable that they would step down to League Two I feel that we should do what we did with Justin, pick a manager who has got a team out of the division we are in. I think, I think Justin's different because Justin was a, a lower league manager. He hadn't worked his way up into the championship. He'd done like League One, uh, League Two. He'd been up to League One, I think. League Two. If you're getting play, people like this, like I said, this is my fear. And like I said, going back to. I don't like to go back to the old regime, but we had managers coming in that was just grabbing money and going. Oh, I don't want to see a manager come in now who's a big-name manager, just say Rowett, for example, who steps down, does six, seven months here, gets offered a job back in League One or bottom end of the championship and jumps. We're back to square one. We're, we're, we're literally back to square one. If that happens, I, that's, I don't think he would come to the O's personally because no, yeah, I, yeah, I know what you mean. Exactly, but yeah. with his name, you've got someone who's been top two divisions in a, in a pyramid managing. He's been paid quite a lot of money at them clubs. He can sit and bide his time and wait for an opportunity to come. Normally about Christmas is when managers get sacked. So he'll sit there and wait and something will come up. The ones you've got to be interested in are the ones who were up there who have not worked for a year, 18 months, who didn't earn massive money and the, the bank account is slowly sort of creeping down and, and they need to get back into work. And then they're the ones who, they're not desperate, but they're the ones who say, Do you know what, I'm going to take a chance. I will drop down there and I will revive my career. But again, for me, they're coming, they're coming on three-year contracts and if it don't work, or if like they're going to be on big money on three-year contracts, where's their incentive to sort of really take all in? I know what you're saying about... Well, the incentive is you give them a year contract. Will they come down for a year, though? Well, that's that's not yeah. well. The thing is, no, there's there's loads of different there's loads of different incentives loads of different incentives yeah. in there for players as well. Yeah. You can just incentivise them in many different ways. That's down to them, their agents, the board. The board are businessmen. They're not stupid with a pound note. So they ain't going to do anything where it's going to cut their own throat if they do go. Yeah. And if they did get a big name in on a three-year contract, they'll have something written in there with a big buyout clause, or when we say big in monetary terms, big for Orient or League Two. So they would be compensated because if the manager's done well, like I said before, and he's attracting attention from Ayer, they'll get a good compensation package out of it. I've got to say as well, Justin Edinburgh, I'm sorry to keep going back to Justin, he, his last two jobs before the National League was Gillingham, which was League One, and Northampton, which was League One. He was out of work for about two months before we got him. And so he, dropped, he did drop two divisions, so it is the equivalent of getting someone like a Rowett 
or Cottrell or a Jones, or even though he's still in the job. So it could happen. Stranger things have happened. But really interesting discussion to talk about the manager. I'm sure we could talk about it all evening. Yeah. yeah, no, we absolutely could. Um, I was just going to say about Smokos' message, actually. He says, do the club go short-term with a more experienced man, considering our current league position, or more long-term and take the risk with an up-and-coming younger head coach looking to make his way in the game? Or is it somewhere in between? I think it's a risk with whoever you put in charge. An experienced man, an upcoming manager, like you say, Nathan Jones, look how well we've done at Luton. Gets a stoke job, look where they are in the league. Mm. It's not gone well for him. He could step into the next job and do really well. He could step into the next job and have a horrendous time. Um, it's about how that manager and the staff work with the players, how he lifts their confidence, how he, when times are low, lifts them up, when they're winning, keeping their feet on the ground, that sort of manager. It just it all comes down. You don't know what you're going to get. You could get Mourinho in there and he could struggle. Well, he would struggle. Probably would. Yeah, he don't like pie masters, does he? So um, he'd struggle with the, uh, with the supporters. But he, he, it's going to be a risk with whoever comes in to that hot seat. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be an instant turnaround. I think it's going to take a few months and a lot of hard graft for the players, for the staff to get, to get going and to really start climbing up the table. But for me, you know, if we do appoint an experienced manager and he has a great year, and I've got no problem with that manager going to a championship club or, or League One club because that, that's football. You know, we've seen Macaulay Bond and Josh Croma have great two years at Orient and they get their rewards. And now they're both in the championship, right? They're not playing, but they got that big move and they deserved it. And if someone comes to Orient for two years, makes us from a, a lower League League Two club into a higher League Two club or a League One, I've got absolutely no problem with going, do you know what? You deserve your move crack on yeah because he took a risk he took a step back from Colchester they'd released him he took a step back step back realistically into non-league he's worked really really hard for, the, for a couple of years he signed an extra year's contract with us that we knew we'd get a few quid and with the intention of obviously letting him go he scored he played his first start and scored uh, didn't work out for him on Tuesday night I don't think I think they lost 1-0 but 2-1 or 2-1 um, so you know he, he deserves a chance I, I, I don't know if Josh has played much but Stephen Azarte is another one doing well at Brighton man of the match against Newcastle the other day first start so it, it does happen if you work hard you, sometimes in life you do have to take a step back to then go forward yeah incredible really yeah with that but it's the same with the players like you just saying and the management the O's need youth, play, um, youth players or players who have just come in on freeze and stuff like that, they need to build them up because to fund the club, that's the way all lower league clubs work. They get them in for next to nothing, they have a great season, they sell them on for a fee. That money goes on the bottom line and they need that to fund that. They probably need two of them a season to, to help with the bank balance. Um, it's unrealistic to think that if a team's doing well, every single player's going to stay at the club and the manager's going to stay at the club. All right, Justin, when he was doing well, Wimbledon didn't have a manager and they were sniffing around him, but he stayed because he obviously knew he's... Well, he, he loved the O's, didn't he? So he yeah. knew he had the... I hate to call it a project, but it was a project for him to get it's out of the league and do, and do well, which he'd done, and he could see it pushing on and pushing on. Now, if any manager comes in and do well, like you say... You can't begrudge them getting a step up not, in a career. Not at all. No, I'm not saying I begrudge them moving on. I mean, obviously, like, like a lot of managers have moved on and players have moved on. Good luck to all of them. But what I'm saying is, right at this moment, in my mind, we need stability. So we need someone who's going to come in and buy into the project long term. 
That's that's what, uh, the way I see it. And like I said, not someone. I mean, if, if someone comes in, does a fantastic job and gets bought or gets signed next season, player, manager, whatever, there, yeah, that's football. I, I understand that. But my fear is, is that we'll get a, a, a big manager come in or a, a manager drop down that is literally using us as a, a way back into football to get his name back in. Like, that's my fear. But sometimes that's kind of how it will work. Yeah. They might stay with us a year, 18 months, and then sort of get a, a bigger calling. Um, I mean, Justin... Sorry, Paul. No, go on. For myself, when Justin come down, I, I, I had the same fear then. But Justin bought into the into the club. He bought into the yeah. club. Now, there's no saying what could have happened this season. He could have been moved on the next season. Uh, but, like I say, he bought into the club. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I want to... Whatever, whoever we get for this manager, I want to see them buying into the buying into the whole club the way Justin did, not just what's happening on the pitch, the whole club. So who would you have realistically? I've no idea. Putting you on the spot. That's, that's, that's the question. I mean, that's yeah, a million dollar question. It's not, I mean, I look through the list and and, and you can find faults and and, and pluses for with, everyone. with everyone. Yeah, sort of thing. But that's it. I mean, uh, like I say for me. I'll get the eye. As long as they come in and buy into the club uh, as a whole, then then I'll be happy. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter to me who it is, as long as they get appointed, all support them 100%. The one thing that I don't want to see, that I'm sure we might see, is a manager comes in and straight away the fans are like, nah, didn't want that guy. The thing is, you're going to get that, aren't you? You're going to yeah. get players because it's not their preferred choice. Who's going to like him, who won't like him, players, um, supporters will give him a chance, others won't. If if he does if he starts off and he's he's got the same set of players, all right. We've we've spoken about his marginal some of the games where we've dropped points. That could spin Saturday at Northampton. It could work the, the week after with Ross in charge because they're that close at the moment. It's so so sort of marginal with us losing points. But new manager may come in and he and he, they could hit the hit the floor running you know and they could go on a run of six wins and then they're, they're the best thing since sliced bread but it could also go the other way and support as we like told you so yeah. so we shouldn't have got him in yeah well it's off to Northampton on the well, Saturday yeah I was just going to say so to sum up this this discussion that we've had we're still no closer to who we think we should be employed uh, as our next coach and they're probably going to get grief as soon as they've started before Absolutely. a ball's even been kicked um, and as a result of all of that, I think that um, we'll be, I think, all probably pleasantly surprised as to who actually does get appointed in the end. I hope so. I think. I hope so. So we've got the 10 minutes left, and so let's look ahead to Northampton on Saturday. So Northampton Town, currently 13th in the league. They've won four, drawn three, and lost four. So they currently sit on 15 points. Interestingly enough, I listened to a Northampton podcast yesterday. They've led 2-0 in their last two games and have conceded two last-minute goals to draw both of those games to... So Sounds familiar, right? It does sound yeah. familiar. So who would you guys want in your starting 11 in? Five at the back on Saturday? Four at the back on Saturday? No, four at the back for me. Four I'll at the back? Yeah. Agreed around yeah. the table? It looks like I'm getting lots of nods. So. Yeah, go four at the back All and right. five in midfield. All right, well, let's go four at the back then. So in keeper, would you stick with Brill or do you twist with young Sam Sargent? Or oh, there's, there's looking around the table. Oh. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm going to stick with Dean Brill. For me, Sergeant's going to be coming in very soon, but whether Saturday, I think probably, I think they'll stick with Brill Saturday. All right. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we're unanimous in Brill round the table and goal. 
a back forward in, which means one of our prized centre-backs isn't going to make the starting 11. Let's go around the room then and ask for your two centre-backs. Lee, let's put you in the position first, mate. <laughs> Marvin, Dan Happy. Okay. I'm going to go with a captain. Captain Coulson and Happy. Fine. I'm going to go with Marv Happy because I don't think Josh Coulson is fit at the moment. He looks like he's carrying something to me. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go with um, Dan Happy and Marv as well. I think uh, Josh was ill last week and I think he played through that a little bit on Saturday. Plus, he took a whack in the back early on. So, I think he's, he was still hurting uh, after the match as well. So, that probably didn't help him in any way. Fine. Left back and right back then. Probably Widows and Ling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Wodgy coming in, but if you're playing Marvin Happy, yeah. then he's got to be Widdowson. Yeah, okay. I, I think the problem with Marvin Happy is inexperience there. I watched him I against really, Southend. I, I, oh, Do you know what? I watched him against Southend, yeah. and I thought that was the best centre-half pairing. That they Happy spoke to Marv, they, they understood each other. And Dean Brill behind them. Really impressed with, really impressed with him against... Yeah, but, but, yeah, but as, as, a, as a centre-half, you, <laughs> you don't listen to the keeper. You listen to him when you're in the box and he says squeeze up or whatever, or right and left. You don't, he ain't going to give you instructions. And if he did, you'd be like, you're a goalie. The reason you're there is because you don't know much about football. <laughs> 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 Glenn Wilkie telling you like it is on Phoenix FM this evening. Controversy reigns again. <laughs> so midfield-wise then, we've got five minutes to go. A midfield, what are we thinking in midfield? Well, I don't know about a five. Um, so for me, I'm, I'll go four four two. Okay, I'll go flat four four two. So, so who, who's your forward in, in your flat four four two? Um, Josh Wright, straight off the bat, and George Marsh. Okay, for me, I think would be my yeah. two centres. Cool. Um, on the wings, I'd be inclined. Who have we got as wingers? Brophy, JMD, um, Dennis. Brophy and Dennis for me. Brophy and Dennis, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, because JMD likes to play JMD off of Wilkinson. Yeah. For me. Yeah, okay. For me, I'd quite like to see the 4-2-3-1 that I think we spoke about before on the podcast. Yeah. So you put Marsh and Wright as your two and then your three. You've got Brophy down the left, two his strength playing. You whack JMD in the middle, go, mate, go on, you create it. You set up Wilkinson. And on the right-hand side, you go, Dennis. I would so like that's, your, that's your flair and Wilkinson, full of confidence. You're up top, mate. You chase everything down and you smack that ball in the net. I, want, I don't know how he is with his fitness levels at the minute, but I'd like Joby to come in. If he's on the bench, I would rather him start, shake it up yeah. as a coach, player coach as well. He will give that team a lift. I don't know where you fit him in, but I will try and fit him in. And if he lasts an hour, then that hour may be good enough. It could be two goal cushion, take him off. It, it may not be, but I would give him 60 minutes um, and then make a change after that because I think he will give the lads a real lift in there. You can't, yeah, I was just going to say, you cannot underestimate the psychological effect that having Joby McEnough on that pitch will have on not just the young players, but on all that team and on the coaching staff as well. I think he's an absolute pivotal player. And just to mention injuries, James Dayton looks like he's going to be back very, very soon. You've got Jamie Turley to come back as well. Those are three big players. I mean, Turley was playing at this level this time last year. Joby, we know about Joby's quality. And James Dayton, I think, is was top of our assist table for two seasons running only having played half of both seasons so we know that those three players can really really produce something so to put you guys on the spot let's have your score predictions that we never do on our own podcast <laughs> <laughs> Lee 2-1 <laughs> <Two> Orient <laughs> hey. 
As it'll be my first away game, see, uh, away game this season. I'm going to go over on the, on Saturday. I'm going to go for nil one. Okay, like it. I don't think Northampton are going to be pushovers either. Um, I think a one all draw. I'm going to sit on the fence. I'm going to sit on the fence with you as well and say two all, and we'll be two nil down at half time, and we'll come back in the second half. It'll be two all, and we'll almost nick it as well. I go almost as far as to say that we'll almost nick it. And we've got one more question, I guess, from Leighton Ears, who says, with McEnough, Turley and Dayton all close, do they come straight back into the 11, which we've mentioned? So say if they were fit, do all three walk into 11 or just McEnough for you? What a great problem to have, eh? I know. Absolutely. Um, I think depends on the form. Um, if, if they wasn't fit for Saturday, depends on the form of this game. I think you probably... It'll be a bit of a risk to put all three of them in there after an injury, just in case they all broke down on whatever and um, fitness levels. I, I would like to see, like I said, Joby in there, possibly Dayton. Um, see how he goes. Really see how, how he goes Saturday because it could be a 3 0 away win on Saturday and everyone has a blinder. Then how are they going to get in the team? You can't change a winning team. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone will be wanting us to stay. I'd, uh, I'd have him on the bench and then put him in for Wimbledon. Give him a start at Wimbledon on Tuesday. I think Wimbledon presents a, a fantastic opportunity, doesn't it, to give those players, get Ogie more game time, to yeah. get Gorman up to speed. I mean, Matt Harold's got a great case to start on Saturday. I mean, the impact Matt Harold made against Port Vale was something Sorry, we haven't even talked about. Um, and we haven't got time to, to go into it in much more detail now, but <laughs> Matt, Matt Harold came on and absolutely, for me personally, yeah. the way I saw that game, he absolutely changed, changed the game. He, he stood on Leon Leg. Didn't, Leon Leg didn't like that. Um, he was chasing stuff down, making a real nuisance of himself. Um, 35 year old, six foot two striker doing that. I mean, exactly what we need. So, arguably, should, I mean, Connor scored that, scored a great goal. <laughs> Matt Howell's going to feel hard done by now, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Gents, what an hour this has been. It's gone far too fast. We need to make it the Orient double hour at some point. So, a massive, massive thank you to Glenn Wilkie. A massive thank you to O's fan Lee Boyce. As always, a massive thank you to the bearded legend. So the Orient Hour returns as normal on Phoenix FM. It returns next Thursday at 7pm. And so make sure you're listening. But until then, have a great week. And up the O's. Up the O's. <laughs> <laughs>